those who paid for hampers, for those who bought gifts and brought them to church. I want to thank uh, Tracy Miller for, for uh, distributing them uh, throughout the school. Um, also, uh, thanks for Pastor Beth, Pastor Pauline, uh, Kirsten and Ebony for all their wrapping. And if I've missed anyone, uh, please forgive me. But I just want to say thanks to all those who got involved with that. And thank you. Let's give ourselves a, a round of applause for being such a faithful church. Because we're bringing the joy of Christmas into others who maybe have a pretty bleak looking Christmas. But uh, it's sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the joy of this season to other people. It really makes a difference in many, many lives. So um, today I want to preach a message that you may think is, is not quite a, a Christmas message, but it is. Um, I'm talking about part two of the temple and the kings. So in part one, a few weeks ago, we looked at the lost scroll and um, and in that message, we found that they lost the word of God in the temple that was designed to preserve it. How do you do that? So they have a huge whopping building that is there to preserve the word of God. And somewhere in the process of time, they lost the word of God. They lost the scroll that had God's law in it. So, um, so the, what I find is the temple in ancient Judah was like a gauge to the spiritual condition of the nation. So the temple was where God dwelt among people. So it's not a strange subject to start our preparations for Christmas to be looking at the kings of Judah and the temple in Jerusalem. And we'll see as we go through this how, how relevant it is. So um, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm preparing these messages is because it's a foundation a foundation point for looking at end times prophecies. And I want to do a series on the end times starting in January, but I want to get a foundation set of uh, how all these things come together and the things that we see in the, in the Word of God, particularly about the kings and their dealings with the temple, have long-range forecasts for us in the end times. So that's why I'm wanting to, to uh, lay these foundations so that we have a good grasp of what we're going to look at in January. So is that cool? So, you know, it is important that we get this one, one thing right. The temple was where God dwelt among people. So this building that was built, we're going to look at all the different kings. We're going to look at 12 kings today. Um, now, uh, some of the kings were good. Some of the kings were bad. They're all significant as they preempt the king of all kings and a new spiritual temple. So the biblical thing, uh, sorry, the biblical kings that we're going to look at are indications of the church and people. When we turn our heart to God, no matter what we've done, God forgives and God redeems. I missed, missed that in the first service. Uh, it came up on the screens, but I didn't, didn't point it out to you. I want to also say in this service, um, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verses 25 to 31, is a summary of all the kings of Judah. And, and you know, if you do some research, you want to do some added study from this message, go and look at Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 25 to 31 because what it tells us is when things went, this is where, where, where we've got to be really, really careful as believers in Jesus, as the church, this is, what the, this is what the summary of the kings of Judah were, when things went well, they forgot God and abandoned the temple. When things went bad, when the enemy was knocking at the gate, they would run to the temple and cry out to God and say, we want to, we want to serve you again. 
And so the danger we have is not when God does everything good for us. Uh, that's a danger point because we start to say, oh, you know what, life's comfortable. I got the girlfriend. I, I, got, I got the job promotion. And every time we, we see these God's blessings, we actually move away from God. But we don't want to be people like that. We want, to, we want to stay focused and committed to the cause and purpose of God in our life so that when things are good, we're praising God. We're blessing others from the goodness that God gives us. And when times are bad, we press in deeper and we say, God, you know, I'm, I'm here still. So we don't want to be like the kings of Judah who when things went well, when things were good, they stepped away from God. And when, and when things were bad, then they went after God again. So that's what we see from Nehemiah. Let's just pray for a moment. Will you just bow your heads with me? I pray, Lord God, that these words today will be wisdom to our soul and life to our spirits. May they be clear. May they be uh, um, encouraging. And may we see where we can strengthen ourselves in these words that I speak today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we're going to take a moment to look at each king. Now these kings that I'm I'm highlighting today, so you understand, are all kings in the time of the temple in Jerusalem. So there are many other kings in, in Judah and Israel, but these ones we're looking at are specific to the time frame of when there was a temple in Jerusalem. So I want to take you on the journey and understand the time frame and the context of what we're looking at today. So the first king was Solomon. He's not the first king of Israel, but he's the, he's the first king that had a temple. He's the one who built it. So Solomon built the temple. He had peace and was the wealthiest kingdom ever. It says of his kingdom that it was so rich, gold was everywhere. It was as common as rocks. So imagine that. Wherever you go, you, 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 put, you have a rockery in your garden and it's made out of pieces of gold. It's like gold was so common that silver was worthless. It's like, so if you gave someone a bar of silver for their birthday, they'd say, that's, that's not what we wanted, we wanted gold. But it was the wealthiest kingdom ever. Now the second king was Rehoboam. Now it says that he abandoned the Lord one generation after the temple was built. He abandoned the Lord and the temple was ransacked by Egypt. Only one generation after it was built, the temple was robbed by a foreign invader. Uh, third king, Abijah. Now don't worry about my pronunciation of these names. I'll do my best. Uh, number three was King Abijah. He trusted God and honoured the temple. He's a good guy. Um, number four, Asa. It says he reigned a long time and he honoured the temple. But late in his reign, he took what was dedicated to God, all the gold and all the treasures in the temple, and gave it away to a foreign king for protection. So we're going to look at all these, you know, a little bit, uh, what these all mean. Number four. I did number four, that's King Asa. Number five, Jehoshaphat. Um, It says of him, he instructed the nation to serve God, but he didn't remove the pagan shrines and the people never fully committed themselves to God. So uh, Jehoram says uh, number six, sixth king, he was a wicked king. He built pagan shrines, killed his brothers and It says when he died, no one was sorry for him. So 
Um, he, then we see Ahaziah. It, um, it said he did what was evil and had unhealthy alliance with a rival kingdom of Israel and was murdered in Samaria. So he was in the wrong place with the wrong people and it cost him his life. It goes on then after him, his mother becomes the queen. She promotes herself. Her name's Athalia. She assumes the throne and seeks to destroy all of Judah's royal family. You see, Ahaziah, he'd already killed all his brothers and then his mother assumes responsibility when he's out of the way and she promotes herself to be the queen and proceeds to kill everyone else that's left in the family. So it's a nice family they've got here. So uh, number eight, we see Joash. It says he repaired the temple, but later was persuaded to abandon it to worship idols instead. Now Joash was six years old when he became king. Six years old. I wish I could have been made king when I was six. I would have been saying, no school, water slides, bouncy castles, um, castles, they're posh here in South Australia. Um, I'd be like, M&M's, bring a whole tip truck full, let me roll around them. It'd be amazing. And he, Joash, a six-year-old king. But you know, it, it says he repaired the temple. He was a good king. But later in life, it said that he, um, he reversed all the good progress that he had made. Number nine, Amaziah. He was, a half, he was half-hearted and he adopted idols from the other nations and refused the counsel of the prophets. So then we see Uzziah. It said he followed God, but he became proud and got leprosy. Uh, number 11, Jotham. It says he rebuilt the gates of the temple. He obeyed God, but his, his kingdom was corrupt. He repaired, the temple, he repaired the doors of the temple, but his people and his kingdom was corrupted. They weren't fully after God. Now, the last king is Ahaz. He is a real fiend. He is a, he is a real uh, bad dude. It says that he built idols, sacrificed his own sons. Uh, large numbers of his people were exiled. He broke up the temple furniture and shut the temple doors. Now, what King Ahaz was being attacked left, right and centre by enemies, enemy armies coming to attack Jerusalem and the, every time an army would attack, they would carry away as slaves, as, as captives, large numbers of the population of Judah to be slaves in these various countries. So he was the, the worst of the worst of the kings. He got so desperate that he started worshipping other gods. He, he gave away the, the, the worship of God totally. And he was so angry with God. He chopped up all the furniture in the temple, all the things used for, for sacrifices and worshipping God. He got the axe and destroyed them, burnt them, got rid of them. And to make sure that no one could worship God, he nailed closed permanently the doors of the temple so no one could enter to worship God. He's the worst king. But he is the one to whom Isaiah prophesies of the Messiah. This is so incredible. We all use this scripture a lot at Christmas time. Isaiah 7 verse 13 and 14. Um, then it says, Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, 
the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel. So we know who that is. We, we see that and, and know that they're talking about Jesus. We're talking about his virgin birth from his mother Mary. And it's given to one of the most evil kings that ever lived. So the plan of God was revealed to an evil monster who had abandoned the temple. See, God reveals to the worst sinner a sign of salvation. Now this king Ahaz, he'd, he'd burnt his own children on the altars of foreign gods. He'd sacrifice his own children for, uh, for, for some spiritual advantage that he thought he was going to get from that. And he's the worst of the worst. But you know something? God reveals his plan of salvation to him. Because Isaiah goes to King Ahaz and says, Ask God for a sign. Because Ahaz had been asking every other religion, asking every other kind of demonic force to give him a sign, a direction. What should I do? That's why he's sacrificing his children because he's thinking, I'm so desperate for a spiritual encounter. I will sacrifice my own children on the fires so that you know, some spiritual thing might happen. But you know something? Isaiah challenges him and says, ask God for a sign and the king refuses. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't know where that stubbornness came from, but, but he refuses to ask God for a sign. But God reveals to the worst sinner a sign of salvation for all humanity. And that is points to Jesus. Now, from our point of history, looking back, we see Jesus' birth is prophesied in that message. And God promised David that his kingdom would never end, that he would always have an heir. See, God spoke to David of an eternal kingdom that Jesus fulfilled. Now, 2 Samuel, we see the story. 2 Samuel, verse 11 to 13. Furthermore, this is God speaking to David. The Lord declares that he'll make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I'll raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I'll make his kingdom strong. Verse 13. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne. Now, if you read Isaiah chapter 7, knowing what we know about Ahaz, you could expect that God would have been glad to see him destroyed by his enemies. Yet God speaks of hope and deliverance. So God's motive, even to the worst of the worst, of those who reject God, say, I don't, I, I don't believe, I don't want to know, I'm even going to go out of my way to stop others from worshipping. God's grace and salvation says, I'm going to reach out even to you and ask me for a sign and I'll show you the salvation of the world. Is that amazing? That's just an amazing picture. When we think someone is so far from God, someone is so rejected God, God says, ask me for a sign and I will show you. So in all of these kings, their, their relationship to the temple, God has one aim to lead them to safety if they'll only trust him. God's plan through the temple was for people to trust God 
and be led to safety by trusting him. Now I'm going to show you some, some faults or some issues that the, each of these kings had. Some of them, they're not issues, they're good things. So we're going to see them and we see most of them are, have got issues. Turn to someone next to you and say, you've got issues. So let's look at them one by one. We won't take that long here. Number one, Solomon, we saw he was blessed. He was the richest king that ever lived. The, the richest and most blessed kingdom. But lust ruined him. So foreign women got his heart. We can see that if you want to reference 1 Kings 11 verse 1 to 4. It says that he married so many women. He had 700 wives. And that wasn't enough. He had like another 300 concubines. I don't know what the difference is between a wife and a concubine, but I don't know, but have to study on that. But he had a thousand women in his life. And it says their hearts turned, that his heart was turned away from God and he began to worship their gods. So he married all these foreign women and began to worship who they worship. And so right from the very institution of the temple, from Solomon, it was already, it was created and built and then Something else got Solomon's heart. Number two, so he, he was a victim of lust. His own lust caught him and took him away from God. Rehoboam, the next king, his kingdom is, is marked by disunity because the kingdom was divided. You need to understand this. Otherwise, reading the, the books of Kings and Chronicles you will never make any sense if you don't understand that the kingdom of Israel was divided in two in the time of Rehoboam. So Rehoboam was, was a descendant of David, but the, there was a, some issues going on and the kingdom divided. So the northern kingdom became the kingdom of Israel and the, the, the remaining um, uh, tribes that stuck together under a, a, a descendant of King David was the kingdom of Judah. That's where they built the temple. That's Their capital was Jerusalem. The other kingdom was called Israel and they moved their capital to Samaria and it always represented compromise and sin. So Rehoboam's, his, his issue was he allowed disunity to divide the kingdom. So it's a divided kingdom he represents. And we need to be believers who do everything that we can to keep the kingdom united to keep the church strong, to stay together, not to say, well, we had differences of issues, we didn't get our own way, so we just thought we'll split the kingdom in half. So that's what his, his issue was, disunity. Abijah, the next king, says he was a faithful king. He was a good king. He followed God and served God with, with all that he could, and he, he um, honoured the place of the temple in his life and in the kingdom. King Asa, his issue was fear. Because when he started off serving well, built the temp, you know, repaired the temple, made it, made it good, had worship going on. But then when, when uh, he got fear in his life, he took everything, all the treasure from the temple and gave it to a foreign king for protection. It's the first of the mafia. So he says, hey, you protect me, I'll give you money. And it says it actually did him no good. So he robbed the temple and gave it to foreigners, a foreign army, a foreign king for protection because he allowed fear to control his heart. Number five, Jehoshaphat. He had good intentions, but he also had compromise. He was a great king, but he also lived with a compromising spirit, a compromised heart. Number six, Jehoram. He represents no mates. He had no mates. He's self-centered and independent. 
says that he murdered his brothers. He wouldn't have no competition under the Christmas tree. So it's a, he's just an independent soul. He says, I don't need nobody. Uh, you don't matter to me. And it says that when he died, nobody was sad. I mean, when I die, I want everyone to be sad. I want you to be crying for a week. But Pauline will be devastated. Ahaziah represents unhealthy alliance. Allegiance to the wrong things. Instead of having a loyalty to God, he had a loyalty to a to a neighboring a, a neighboring nation, and he had an unhealthy alliance. It says he was killed in Samaria. He was killed in the capital of Israel, the place where he shouldn't have been. And then what happens next? His mother, Queen Athaliah, she becomes a self-appointed ruler of Judah. She sees she sees an opportunity. She seizes a moment of time of weakness in the kingdom and says, I'll become the queen. I'll rule this place. So she represents self-appointment, self-promotion. Can you see all these things we can see either in our lives or in the church? Ahaziah, unhealthy alliance. Queen Athaliah, self-appointment. Joash, king number eight. See, he starts really strong, but he finished wrong. Easily led. He was persuaded by the voices of others. It says when he was young, he had a, a particular um, priest who, who coached him, guided him, mentored him, and taught him to value the temple and the worship of God. So, so he was great under that, under that um, influence. But then when that priest died, he no longer had that, had that voice keeping him on the right path. It says that he was, he was persuaded, he was easily persuaded to abandon the temple. So while the priest was telling him, you've got to honour God, you've got to you know, maintain the temple, and do it, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. As soon as the priest died, this talks about having people of influence around us, and we say, so long as they're telling us, my wife tells me I need to go to church, my husband says I should go to church, my kids are saying we should go to church. But as soon as they're taken away, then we think, oh, well, we're easily persuaded. And, we, and we, we hear someone else saying, go to golf on Sunday. Someone else saying, you should be playing soccer on Sunday. So it represents those who are easily persuaded from the call and purpose of God in their life. Who are, who's next? Amaziah. He represents those who are half-hearted. And it says that he ignored the prophets. So God sent prophets to Amaziah the king and would say, King, you, know, you need to trust God. You need to come back to God. You need to you know, uh, reinstate worship in the temple. And he was so uh, against the word of God through the prophets, he would, he would threaten and even kill them. So if you were on assignment from God as a prophet, said, go and tell the king this, then you could be sealing your own death sentence. That's how opposed he was to the prophets. He ignored the prophets and even killed them. King Uzziah, king number 10. He was a great king. He served God, reinstituted right worship in the temple, uh, provided for the temple, did so many amazing things for the temple of God. But you know what? He became proud and pride became his undoing because he took the glory for himself. And it says that he, he wasn't satisfied only to be the king. He Uzziah decides that he wants to be a priest as well. And so he begins to do a priestly duty that wasn't his call or purpose. And it says he went into the temple and began to burn incense. You think, well, that's not a bad thing. He's honoring God, but he's not in his right place. 
He's trying to say, well, I, anybody can do this and I will. And it says, the priests confronted him and they said, what are you doing? You need to get out. Of, you're, you're taking our job that's not designed for the king. And he's angry and it says, leprosy burst out on his forehead and then they rushed him out and it says, and he also was eager to get out of the temple. And he lives his, the rest of his life in isolation, disconnected from everybody in his own little like isolated unit because his pride caused leprosy in his life. So that took him out. King Jotham, number 11. He's an honest king in a corrupt kingdom. So it says that he rebuilt the, 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 the gates of the temple. He rebuilt the outside, but didn't deal with the inside. So he wanted, the, he wanted things to look great on the outside. Hey, look at this wonderful, great gateway we've made for the temple of God. We've, we've just recovered it with gold. We've put new bars and bolts and all that stuff. It looks awesome, doesn't it? Doesn't it look amazing? That's representative of those who, who want the outside to look great, but inside there is corruption and there is decay. And that is what he represents, King Jotham represents. He was an honest king, but had a corrupt kingdom. So things looked good on the outside, but when you looked a little deeper, no one was worshipping God the way they should be. So number 12, and the fiend of the day, Ahaz. This represents idolatry on steroids. Idolatry, supercharged, um, fully rejecting the temple, fully rejecting God in every way. So for us today, as we see all those, all those issues from the kings of Israel and their relationship to the temple, Jesus has one aim, and that is to lead us safely, if only we will trust him. Looking at these kings, we could be seeing various stages of ourselves, various stages of, of the church through the generations also, I believe. But each of these kings had access to the temple, access to the presence of God among them. Now, some of them embraced that and welcomed that and wanted that. They, they honoured it and they loved the presence of God in the temple. And some had little interest and some actively worked against it and didn't allow anyone to use it. See, the temple where God dwelt among people. Can I have the musicians come and join me, please, right now? See, when Jesus... Now, there's no message is complete without bringing Jesus into the picture, I don't think. Mark chapter four, uh, 14, verse 58. When Jesus was on trial, one of the only accusations that they could bring against him was this one, and I quote, Mark chapter 14, 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Is that worthy of a death sentence? Well, it was for Jesus because it represents a, a, a very deep spiritual truth that the world didn't want to receive. See, Jesus was declaring his fulfillment of the promise given to King David. I read that earlier on. That God planned a spiritual temple built of those who would believe his son and be born again. And we can be that temple. When Jesus rose from the grave after he was hung upon the cross, he rose from the grave. He instituted the foundation of the temple called the church. 
I'm excited about that. 1 Corinthians 3.16, we know this scripture, that part one of this, this series, I use this verse from the NIV. Today I'm using the New Living Translation, same scripture, different emphasis. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Jesus had in mind a temple he described as made without human hands. In other words, not a building, but a spiritual union, unity and community. And we call that the church. That's what Jesus wanted us to see through the temple. And although the temple was abused, although the temple was misused, though the temple was neglected, we don't want to be that kind of a temple today that does the same as what the kings of Israel and kings of Judah did. Here is a quote that that really sums it up so well. If the people of God are the temple, that means it is through these people that God reaches the world. I'll say that part again. If the people of God are the temple, that means that it is through these people that God reaches the world. Remember the temple represented the place of God among the people. And now this is taking the place of God to the people. Now it goes on to say, now the people of God are the temple and take God's presence to the world. Let that sink in. Now the people of God are the temple and take God's presence to the world. Can we stand up please if you will just stand with me this morning? Because you are the temple to the world. No longer do we go to Jerusalem to a place of a, of a structure, of a building where the presence of God dwells. The presence of God dwells in you wherever you are, wherever you go, to your neighbour, to your workplace, to your school, to your university, wherever you engage with others. You are taking the presence of God as a temple of God. We as the church do the same thing on a greater level. So when we saw those things that we do for the community and all these different community engagement things, we're bringing the presence of God to the world. We're bringing the presence of Jesus through our temple to the world. It's a most amazing, amazing calling that we have. And that's an awesome thing. Can I just pray for you this morning, church? And, and if you will, if you could just raise your hands to receive something of the Spirit of God this morning that will bring a, a, a new understanding to your life, a new way of thinking of your place in the temple of God. I want to pray for you today that we be the temple that God intends us to be. So let me just pray for you this morning. Lord, we just pray today over every single person here today that represents your presence in the world today. Lord, may we turn our attention to Jesus. Lord, He carries us beyond our weaknesses. Lord, help us get beyond our weaknesses, beyond our issues. Lord, we saw how the kings of Judah had their issues and it caused them to fail. Lord, I pray that we lay our issues at your feet and do not fail because we want to go in your strength into all the world. Lord, may we receive your promises. Lord, I speak over this church and promise that we be a place of love, of unity, of faithfulness, of faith, of fruit in the Spirit, of loyalty to one another and loyalty to you, Lord God. Lord, I pray for godly appointments 
that as we go into all the world, Lord God, we will have appointments with people who need to hear the message of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we be individuals and a church that finish well, that we be fully committed, that we be humble servants focused on Jesus' 